Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines of pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm host Windsor Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good, man. How's everything? It's going pretty good. And uh, tonight we're joined by a special guest. Uh, once again, he was uh, with us this past summer, Kevin Garcia um, in Dallas, who does mentoring, mentoring work at a nonprofit organization, writes and has a podcast coming soon on hip hop and spirituality called Lord Knows. But Kevin, uh, thank you so much for being back on, man. Oh, good to be here. It was really fun last time. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, we have a lot of topics to get into tonight. We're going to do a, a few NFL and NBA topics, a couple of album reviews. In the second half, we're going to do a review of the new uh, Spider-Man no, no Way Home movie. To start off with just thoughts on the Saints um, shutting down Tampa Bay and just the concerning injuries for the Bucks. Um, this past Sunday night, the Saints were able to win 9-0 uh, in Tampa, despite playing without head coach uh, Sean Payton on the sidelines. And this is also the seventh straight time during the regular season they've won against them and fourth since Brady left New England. Um, you know, losing Chris Godwin due to an ACL tear is a, is a major uh, injury. Mike Evans also and Linda Fournette were um, also out in the first half. But uh, Kevin's view, like when it comes to, to just how dominant defensively the Saints were and them constantly giving uh, Tom Brady fit since last season, uh, kind of like what were some of your takeaways from it? Yeah, um, I th- there's a lot of things I had kind of coming from it. If if it was almost any other team besides particularly the Saints to the Bucks. I would have been ready to be in like super super emergency worry mode for the for the Buccaneers. I still am pretty mm-hmm. concerned um, in the yeah. sense of like thinking of what they can do, what they can't do. Um, but I think there's just a particular way the Saints have their number. Like I have a friend from New Orleans, and he literally is always talking about that. He even said it a couple of weeks ago. He goes, "I'm calling it right now. We're going to beat them pretty easily. It's going to be an ugly game. We're going to get them because it's just kind of every matchup works that way." But I do think that mixed with some of the injury stuff is pretty concerning to them. Like, especially coming into this last part of the season, um, you don't want to kind of be looking like that going into uh, other yeah, games. Yeah, going to the playoffs. Team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, to you, Savon, in terms of this, uh, this win for New Orleans and also just the struggles Tampa Bay is, is facing as, you know, the, they, they could have – clinched the division, also like kept that, that number one seed. Now it's uh, a Green Bay's possession of it. What are kind of your thoughts on this this outcome and just what it means going forward for Tampa Bay? I said this last podcast, I said this last week, the most interesting game of week 15 was going to be <laughs> the Saints and Buccaneers. They have an opportunity to, to make the playoffs if they beat the Saints. And what they do, they beat the, the – I'm sorry, they beat the Buccaneers. And they do it convincingly. I think the – uh, the Saints are the only team that knows how, obviously, to beat uh, Tom Brady. I think when you have a, a season secondary like the Saints have with uh, Marshawn Lattimore, who's still considered one of the uh, best cornerbacks in the league, you got Malcolm Jenkins, mm-hmm. O'Head, you got Chauncey Gardner, P.J. Williams, Mark, blah, 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 blah. I think it's the only team you could go man and two safeties over top to clear the safeties uh, clear the back so it won't get taken off, and then Chris Godwin goes out, which is which is big for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just in transition to all these injuries. Leonard Fournette goes down. One of their best linebackers, uh, uh, Devontae Davis, go, uh, David go down. And you have all these injuries. It's extremely difficult to come back on, but that's why they always say the next man up, you go get a batter, Le'Veon Bell. You make some other moves. They're probably going to get another wide receiver, but I think they're fine. I think just like... Kevin says just certain matchups is just they have their ticket, they have the number. Yeah, absolutely. And, and after listening to, to Pittsburgh's 
pivotal win against Tennessee and just thoughts on who will win the AFC North. Um, the Steelers were able to win at home 19-13, and Joe Hayden's veteran presence was really one of the biggest difference makers as he stopped Nick Westbrook, uh, a keen inches short of a first down at the Pittsburgh 10 in the final second, sealing the win. Um, their defense also forced four turnovers, three unconsecutive ten- Tennessee possessions in the second half. Um, but to you, Kevin, just what were your thoughts on how Pittsburgh was able to pull this one out in also, in a really packed AFC North division where we're not really seeing one team separate themselves, um, who do you think should probably have the edge going forward in the, in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, that game, <laughs> I only caught parts of it. I, that wasn't a game I was mm-hmm. particularly um, circling to watch too much. Um, that division's so confusing. Like, diff- all, all the teams <laughs> have had, like, their own little miniature streaks. They have different things yeah. you want to emphasize and things like that. And so many teams have, like, uh, the same things that the other teams are lacking, <laughs> um, like, mm-hmm. you know, quarterback or the rest of the team and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I mean, it was obviously a very good win. I mean, uh, even the Titans are still a very well-run team, even without uh, Derrick Henry. And they've obviously still could have been using that the whole time, like anyone in the world could be. But So I think it's good. Um, I, I just don't have too much confidence in the Steelers. Like, if I was going to be putting my own money or any type of thing that way, um, honestly, really anybody. I mean, the Ravens without uh, Lamar Jackson would be the closest one for me if he was there. But if I was to kind of like look as it is right now, not being sure about Lamar, not being sure about some of the other areas, I kind of think I'm going to just go a little bit with a quarterback who isn't consistent every single time, but is playing pretty well at times uh, with Joe Burrow. Um, I think the Bengals mm-hmm. can pull that out. I think they're solid in a lot of other areas, too. Um, that's not a convincing thing. If someone argues the other way for me, I'm probably not going to put up much resistance. Uh, I'm just like, Hey, he's someone I know is playing yeah. quarterback that plays it well. They have some people to throw it. Like, you know, it just seems like something that you can at least count on versus other teams kind of having a little bit more inconsistent, even in their strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you say, Vaughn, what were kind of some of your takeaways, uh, of, from this from this win for Pittsburgh and also like who who would you give the edge to in the AFC North? You know, it's, it's a clear cut person or team that's gonna win. The Cincinnati, they're three and one in division. <laughs> they're leading mm-hmm. everybody, the eight and six. Baltimore's still battered. They're still trying to figure out how to win without Lamar Jackson. Huntley's not doing a bad job, but he's not Lamar Jackson. Um they came close right. against Green Bay. They came, he almost yeah. I want to get your thoughts on, on the Green Bay <laughs> holding on. <laughs> yeah, man. I thought it was an interesting game. I think Green Bay always has – we always – that's how I kill you, Seal, man, mobile quarterback. When Colin Kaepernick was big yeah. time with the 49ers, we looked battered against him. He used to tear us up with, the, with his mobility. Um, mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson is another guy who, who gives us trouble. Just mobile quarterbacks in general. And our, mm-hmm. and our secondary sometimes just looks so – man, don't give me all, all the money we spend on our secondary every <laughs> single year. <laughs> I digress, but I do think the the Bengals is going to win the AFC North. Um, I think mm-hmm. Baltimore is going to be, be a clear second. I think they still make the playoffs just because of the record, but I think AFC North is going to the Bengals, hands down. The three and one in division, they're not losing. I don't think they lose another game in the division. Yeah. Um, and, and now getting into kind of just most intriguing week 16 NFL game. And we we're just literally just talking about this. I think Ravens Bengals is really up there as it's just an extremely pivotal division game as, as their top two in the AFC North. And there's just a couple of weeks left in the regular season as this is like a very uh, crucial matchup. But to you, Kevin, like looking forward to, to, to the week 16, what game kind of stands out to you uh, in an early fashion? For me, um, and just kind of the area that I'm looking at, uh, me personally being a Green Bay fan also, 
huge Green Bay fan. I'm kind of looking mm-hmm. at things that are happening over, you know, in the NFC and uh, amongst the uh, people there. So I'm kind of really interested in this Colts-Cardinals game. Like, I'm mm. interested in seeing, like, how the Cardinals play because the Colts are just, like, a really annoying team this year. Like, they're <laughs> not going to be someone people are, like, thinking are dominant or anything like that. But, like, they're playing a lot of teams very well. They're getting wins. They're doing these things. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, the Cardinals, I think they only, like, on the, the betting odds, they're only, like, a one-point favorite or something in this game. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking if, if the Cardinals really want to start continuing to keep establishing that they're going to be, like, this top-tier team, you got to kick you got to get a good win against one of these, like, solid teams. Like, not just beating down an easy team or not just maybe scraping out against some other good teams, but you got to get a really good, solid win, especially if, like, they're showing it doesn't seem like they're respecting your team. Because I think everyone is kind of looking at the Cardinals at arm's length a little bit and kind of keeping them there um, and not really saying if they're fully going to be a favorite. I think people still have them below a lot of the other teams in the NFC, regardless of their record. Um, so I'm just kind of wanting to see not just the win or just the loss, but like how they really look in that game as they play them over there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, the, with the NFC and the and the elite of it, like that that is going to be a, a question circulating around it. But but to you, Kevin, like with how Green Bay is looking, like are, are you how confident are you? Like if they get on field advantage, like this year, it could be a different story for them compared to last year where they came short against Tampa Bay. Uh, I'm actually very very confident. Uh, of course, any injuries uh, notwithstanding. Um, Green Bay is yeah. getting a lot of people back. That's the thing that a lot of people don't realize is there are some players that Green Bay have has that have not even played or have barely played that they're going to be getting mm-hmm. back, as well as other people recently who've gotten a bit nicked up that they're going to be getting and adding to their team. Um, that could be like one of the first times Green Bay actually has an actually uh, pretty healthy roster in a way. Um, often in the yeah. playoffs, something happens. They almost get, always get somebody major injured. Even when they won the Super Bowl, the year they won the Super Bowl, there were so yep. many games. I think they have like the most all-time yep. games missed um, in 2010 whenever they won. And then in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. it was like Charles Woodson and Donald Driver and uh, mm-hmm. someone else. Uh, I forgot about got hurt too. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I really, really think that Green Bay has a very good shot. I feel weird feeling as confident as I do. Um, usually I'm kind of like, oh, man, you know, it's Aaron Rodgers and some people. But I think they've put a lot of people around and we have people coming back. It's almost like signing a free agent to a team because they're already doing well in a lot of ways. And so I think they can do pretty well. But again, like all things football, it's kind of the matchup thing. If anyone, you have one tackle go out and then Green Bay, if they just have the biggest weakness always is pass rushers getting to Aaron Rodgers. And if that starts happening Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he's getting messed up back there, then it really, (laughs) the rest of it don't matter too much. Definitely. And before we get to most intriguing uh, 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 week 16 game, uh, Savon, to you, would you kind of say that like it's the same? It kind of depends on the matchup in terms of j- just certain things playing out for Green Bay's uh, odds of, of going to Super Bowl? You know, last year was supposed to be another year. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. going to go into who kicked or who wanted to kick the field gold. Everything <laughs> was set up for us to go to the Super Bowl. Like every year set up. Like, even the first two games, man. I mean, the first game, actually, everybody was like, oh, y'all got blew up by the Saints. I'm like, yeah, just hold up. I think Aaron Rodgers was proving a point, and he hasn't been there. So now we're number one seed in the NFC, y'all number one seed in the NFC. So um, I think we have a dope chance, man, especially we're going to win it out and have home field advantage. And then it's hard to play in Lambeau, man. It's hard to play in the cold turkey. And can I tell you how exciting it will be being in the city of Dallas to yet again in the playoffs, if Green Bay matches up against the Cowboys to beat them, 
Like y'all, y'all have no idea how exciting it is out here <laughs> yes, indeed. for me being this kind of a Green Bay fan. Everybody around me in Cowboys jerseys because it's like 100% just Cowboys. Like for mm-hmm. that to happen, I don't even care what happens next year, but for that to happen, that would just be like <laughs> incredible. And I'll be just like, oh, so much oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It makes it even sweeter. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but getting into week 16 game, uh, to, to you, Savon, kind of like what would be your particular pick? I'm going to have to go back to the AFC. I think it's mm-hmm. two teams that are really battling it out right now for the AFC East, and that's New England and Buffalo, both from three and one in mm-hmm. division. New England's nine to five, quiet nine to five at that. And then Buffalo is yeah. eight and six. They they have a chance. This I think to decide who will win the AFC East. Last last game there was 14-10. New England wins because it was just terrible weather. All they did was run a ball, which was the was the best plan for either team. And some team wanted to throw at least 30 times. <laughs> it was still completely like five times. I don't understand. It was the easiest game for Matt Jones in his life from Little League, Pop Warner. Middle school football, whatever the case may be, the easiest game you ever had to play. But I think that's the most interesting game. Who's going to win the AFC East? Who's going to come mm-hmm. out? Can the Buffalo Bills um, beat them a- in Boston? I think that's going to be a good game. Yeah, definitely. And after listening to, to the NBA and just start off with thoughts on AD being out four weeks and how that kind of affects the Lakers. And it was announced this past Saturday that Davis would be out due to an M- MCL sprain. And the Lakers have kind of experienced just so many different setbacks as um, they've used 15 different starting lineups this season, according to basketballreference.com. And they're currently 16 and 15 and a 17 and seventh in the West. But to you, Kevin, kind of just like, what are your thoughts on this major news for the Lakers and, you know, how they can adjust going forward? So on the way other hand of my favorite teams and how they're doing this year, we have mm-hmm. my Lakers. It's Lakers. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, like, <laughs> I had been just kind of so disappointed and frustrated recently. The AD injury really didn't, like, alter anything happening necessarily right now for me. Um, mm-hmm. And what I mean is it's not like they were dominating. We had a little, like, I think it was four out of five. But, I mean, even then, it was like a struggle to be some okay teams. And it just looked very hard. Like, LeBron is, like, having to overplay as a 37-year-old NBA player. And so things weren't. It honestly has been very just disappointing and frustrating the whole year anyways. And this injury just kind of adds to that. I don't know if it if it can help them reset a little bit, if it helps AD maybe reset. He's he's kind of been playing very different this year. He added on some weight, kind of bulked up a little bit. And when you mm. watch, you see kind of the effect of that. He's not quite as mobile and moving around. He's not smooth in his jumper. I don't know if he'll maybe like, hey, take a little bit of time, slim up a little bit and, and do that. But um, it, it's obviously going to throw them off because if there's any yeah. player, I mean, LeBron and AD are the core core of players that need to kind of have everyone around them fit into how they're playing and playing well. Um, the worst part of the whole team has just been the defense overall. I mean, your best player that has been the one kind of, you know, uh, pushing them to play better defense and playing defense, doing all those things whenever he's the one that's out. Like, even if you do well without him, you're going to be doing it playing a style that you're not going to be playing when he's back. So what really does that do in a sense? So mm-hmm. um, it, it, yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty disappointing, but I don't know, man, they might be, they might put the season on hold for a little bit. You know, the, the conspiracists will say it's for the Lakers, you know, maybe, but uh, <laughs> to let AD rest. I mean, with the COVID, num- the COVID numbers going up, you just never know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's literally a report day after day. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but, but overall, man, it's kind of, it's disappointing. It's kind of frustrating, but it's, it's not a crazy long injury. So, 
Um, you know, hopefully he'll be able to kind of come back. They round it out. Maybe they smooth some other things over a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But right now, it's just kind of a frustrating, disappointing space, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to you, Savon, in terms of, of 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 this news of AD being out, but also just the Lakers are still trying to figure out how to put the right pieces together and and, and the right lineups uh, together. Uh, to you, what kind of stands out the most out of the struggles that they're having, and what they can do going going forward to kind of uh, to, to just fix uh, the situation that they're in. Maybe when they got Carmelo Anthony and they got Russell Westbrook, they got all these old guys, Trevor Ariza, Dwight Howard. Maybe they're mm-hmm. too old to play basketball. Maybe the experience doesn't matter when it's, it's a young young man's game now. And you look at the number one guy, the most important guy on the Lakers basketball team is Anthony Davis. I know it's, this might be a shock on LeBron or his book. No, it's Anthony Davis. He sets the tone. He does not look yeah. like Anthony Davis two years ago. He does not look like Anthony Davis last year. He looks slower. Maybe the injury, he had to play an injury before he got hurt or whatever the case may be, or they're not gelling well, but Anthony Davis doesn't look like Anthony Davis. Him going the extra effort, blocking shots, running down the court, pulling up. Like, it's it's different, a different element for him. I don't see the same Anthony Davis. And you just look at, if you have to do five lineups, I know you're trying to figure out who works best with who. You should have figured that out before you paid Russell Westbrook all that money to come over here for the trade. Russell Westbrook doesn't fit with the Lakers. I think he does not fit with the Lakers. I think when they when they picked up Isaiah Thomas, that was a good pickup. I think he fits with the Ray John Rondo. It's certain guys that fit well, who's won an NBA championship with that team. Russell Westbrook does not fit. Even getting Buddy Hilled in the offseason would have been better. I mean, like, like, like a spot up shooter, because it's just it, it doesn't. When you have a ball dominant guard, it's just never going to mesh with LeBron. Never. And LeBron is the point guard, and you put him at power four most of the game. That's cool. He could play any position for a court back court, but it doesn't mm-hmm. gel well with the offense that you had last year or the year you won in the bubble. So, I don't know. And I, I'm I'm extremely impressed with Taylor, um Horton Tucker. I think he's been playing big minutes. I think he's he's gonna he has so much potential. He's Josh Hart to me because Josh Hart has had so much potential before he went to the Pelicans or got traded to the Pelicans. He had so much potential, and but I don't think he's reaching that at all. But I think Tucker has the the ability to be the go to the next level and, and next level of his game. But man, the the biggest takeaway: Anthony Davis does not look like the the unibrow, the brow. He doesn't look the same. Maybe he is eating his. I mean, if he if he was healthy against the Suns and Kevin, I don't know what you think about this, but but my thing is if 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 AD was healthy against the Suns, the Lakers would have won that series. Oh, and, I, and I know the Suns were. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, because it's it's one of it was one of those game altering like just series altering injuries that even though the Suns were impressive, I still feel as though the Lakers were the superior yeah. team and it had the more more experience. Yeah, as I well. mean, AD had just put like forty five on them. Like I think it was like game eighty one or eighty two that year. Um, and I'm not saying mm-hmm. that only being a Lakers fan, I'm, and not even only in the strict sense of better or worse, but just matchup, like as yeah. in, you know what I mean, like just ways the team matches up. But I, I see, and I I do agree. Like I'm Russell Westbrook is one of my favorite players ever, right? So I'm a little biased mm-hmm. in always being defensive of him. Um, but I don't think it's only the Westbrook thing. I think, man, we look at they just let Caruso go. Uh, all the players who were given all the effort, like Kyle Kuzma could not make a shot, and I was okay with him finally leaving and all that. However, you look, whenever LeBron and AD and them were out last year, the Lakers still held the number one defense for, like, multiple games. Like, they had yeah. the number one team defense. Like, their team defense was so good. It wasn't just, like, an individual defender 
or a dude who gets four blocks a game. It was like just watching teams play against them, it was hard for them to score. You know what I mean? Like they were smart. They rotated. They got in their ways. They didn't give mm-hmm. up easy shots. Bro, I watched a game, and I have no idea why DeAndre uh, Jordan is even on a basketball court in the NBA anymore. <laughs> like I literally retweeted a video, and it was a minute and a half of him giving up shots, giving up rebounds, and it was all from the game against Chicago. It wasn't even like the season. I swear yeah. he gave up 300 points in one game. And and I'm just like, why is he even on here? Why is Frank Vogel putting him in the game? Like, there's no mm-hmm. reason he should be here. Why are there lineups at the beginning of the year with with Russell Westbrook and Rajon Rondo and DeAndre Jordan? Like, that just doesn't make sense coaching-wise. I mean, and I don't like no. to blame the coaches too much because I like giving all the, pre- uh, the credit to the players. But some of this is just not <laughs> making sense either. And and it's just kind of weird to watch, like like them trying to figure that out a little bit more. And because the people they added can't play defense, I love Malik Monk. He can score, can't play defense. Carmelo, I love mm-hmm. having him around, can score, doesn't play defense. Like, it's just a really, I don't know. And the Lakers used to be the most dominant defensive team. So it, it, it's a stark contrast. It's it's wild. It's it's so sad to watch. And, and you got to realize, I have just now finally been hitting this. I've been in denial for a while. I kept saying, guys, it'll be fine. LeBron's missed half the games, all that. And it's not even just the record or anything. They could go on a 10-game winning streak right now. It's just when you watch them, it don't look right. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it just don't look yeah. good. Last year, I still thought they looked good when they had everybody. They started off the year, like, I mean, they were like 22-5 and five or something, got injured. Mm-hmm. Then came in the playoffs. They were looking good again, just the way they looked, the way they played defense. It looked good. And then, you, got, you know, AD got hurt. This year, just nothing has looked good. It just really because you because you can't lean on, on the, just the fact that okay it's LeBron like, like at some point you, you can't just lean on that you have to look at like the actual tape in the team like this team just doesn't look right yeah it it, it does not yeah it just don't right yeah now. absolutely um, but before we get to the Grizzlies the, there was the the news last week of, of Kyrie uh, of the Brooklyn allowing him to play road games um, but then now he, he's he's currently in in, uh, in quarantine on COVID health and safety protocols. But, but Kevin, like that's been one of the biggest storylines of the season. Obviously the Nets are, are, are still doing very well at the top of the East and with, with Kyrie and, and him meshing back with the team. Like, how do you think that will work? Like whenever he eventually does come back and only being able to play road games. I have no clue. <laughs> uh, good answer. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. This is really, really weird. Like I, I this is the, one of the weirdest scenarios that has ever existed. So I, I really don't know. Cause I, my first thought was like, well, the Nets have been doing good. Shouldn't they want to not do good now so that they can like play more games on the road? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, to, to, to you, Savon, like in terms of, of the Nets, just still being able to play well without him. And then the news of him possibly coming back, like how, how much of, of chemistry like that can break up? Or, or I mean, cause obviously he's a, he's a fantastic player, but this is like a, a very unprecedented situation that, a championship contending team is going to have to deal with in the future. I think it's obvious those guys wanted him to play, but when, yeah. I guess you got to separate your basketball from your personal life and you got to respect both. And I think the chemistry mm-hmm. won't be a problem. Yeah, he hasn't played NBA basketball in a, in, a, in a few months and he's been away. He's probably still training and obviously doing those certain things. But I think when you once you play with a player, and you know their tendencies, mm-hmm. and you have a guy like Katie and James Harden is going to get you the ball and get you in space. I don't think the chemistry will be a um, hard thing to to get over. I think they'll get acclimated fast, but it's going to be hard. And I know that's a you know catch twenty two. It's going to be hard because he's only playing away games. He can't play in Canada. He's playing away games. He can't play at home because of New York. So 
it's a lot of moving parts, but I think for the most part, the chemistry won't be the problem. It's the consistency of when they need him to play, what games they win without him, what games they win with them. I think in that mm-hmm. aspect is going to be uh, challenging because what if they go on a winning streak and then, well, I can't go play. <laughs> I can't play at home. I can't play at home. Now the chemistry, like what they build up, now you got to sit out and put somebody else in them like, man, he ain't Kyrie, bro. He not Kyrie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but but now listening to, to the Grizzlies uh, being able to win uh, w- without John Morant when he was when he was out, and then now him being back. Um, but when he was out with the knee sprain, and also due to COVID, Memphis went nine and one, including a victory um, over uh, OKC with the, just the largest winning uh, margin in NBA history. And with Jaws' return last night, they lost by three at home to OKC, and he finished with sixteen points plus a team high eight assists. Um, but to you, Kevin, kind of just like, what are your thoughts on how the Grizzlies were able to stay competent without without Ja and also him fitting back with, with this team going forward? I mean, I, I I think I'll start with the back part first. I mean, obviously, I think with him coming back, it's always going to be much better, <laughs> you know, having okay. someone like John Definitely. Morant. Uh, I'm I'm personally a really, really big fan of John Morant. Like, uh, he's one of my favorite young players, if not maybe my favorite young player. Uh, I'm going to see him. My, my friend uh, has tickets in Houston. I picked the game uh, okay. of Memphis to go play, to go watch, because I was like, I'd really love to go watch uh, John Morant and them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by them, I mean, obviously a really good team because they have been playing uh, very well without him. I think it's been interesting. I, I would yeah. not have all expected for them to play as well as they have without him. Um, I thought, I, I don't think that they're like a, a team like the Mavs where it's just like all jaw and no team or all Luka and no team. I think they're pretty solid. Right. Like, I think they're pretty good, but I would not have expected that at all. I think... Um, they obviously got good dudes like Jaron Jackson over there who I've liked for a while, but he's kind of been in and out injury wise and things all the time. And they got, uh, you know, with Brooks there and just a lot of other dudes who play their roles really, really well. So I think it, I think it's an amazing um, like opportunity for them to really see if they can be one of those teams that kind of come a year earlier than people expect and be one of those teams that can come in and, you know, get out of the first round by upsetting a team that might be better than them or, from the beginning of the year, they thought um, was better than them. I mean, they got a lot of wings, like some of the people I already mentioned, like with Jaron Jackson and Brooks and Bain and, um, you know, Anderson, people off the bench even, and they got bigs. They have a really solid team. Like, it's good, and they just play so well. Like, uh, I listened to a podcast, and one of the guys covers Memphis a lot, and he's just saying, in general, he hasn't seen a team um, that he's followed or been around that seems to actually genuinely enjoy being around each other as much as uh, this version of Memphis does. And so... A lot of camaraderie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so sometimes, I mean, I think sometimes chemistry can be overstated a little bit. I mean, I'm a Lakers mm-hmm. fan. I saw Kobe and Shaq win, you know, three in a row, and they hated each other. <laughs> but um, Because <laughs> talent wins usually at the end of the day. But obviously, if you do have that camaraderie, it's almost like having another good player or adding attributes. If you're, if you're on 2K, adding some badges, you know, like making your teammates yeah. just a little bit better because you trust them, and you're gonna get the ball. And when you watch their games, you just see it. I mean, they rotate the ball. They're not worried about just their man. Uh, they play really well, and I would love to see them play spoiler against you know any team not uh, from the uh, crypto.com org arena. <laughs> crypto.com. <laughs> R.I.P. Staples Center. <laughs> you're never gonna hear it again. Yeah. Um, uh, but but but. Do so you say, Vaughn, in terms of just how Memphis has looked and then and then Ja coming back, obviously a, a huge plus, what have kind of been some of your initial uh, thoughts on this team and how they've been looking so far? Um, 
him, I, I don't, I, I'm worried about if he came back too soon, and I think the fans think that too. <laughs> when he was saying you should have stayed out a little more, and he was he got upset because they didn't want him to play. But <laughs> I feel like if I, I don't want him to come back too soon and then re-injure it, and then now you're down again, because then that makes things difficult when you get down to the, to the playoffs. They're going to definitely need you there. Yeah, they're winning without you right now. Cool. They're number four, um, number four C, but. They're going to need his talents on the front court and the back court later down the road. But like Kevin said, man, this team, it, no really big names besides Steven Adams, Ja, and possibly. No, that's pretty much it. These guys just know how to play <laughs> basketball. There's no really big names. Yeah. And I think that's the best thing when you have uh, a roster. You put guys together who are going to play basketball. The only focus is basketball. You don't have prima donnas. Like the Lakers got like 25 people that's over the age of 35 and uh <laughs> and then and then uh uh but yeah uh <laughs> yeah. Back. We want to be, we want to be this last appearance. <laughs> I got to laugh. I like the Lakers. I still think the Lakers going to win it. You heard it here oh, first. Okay. Really? Yeah. That's still my pick. Okay. That's still my pick. I'm not changing. I can't, I can't be a man who changes his mind. I said the Lakers are going to win it before the season. They're still going to win. They're going to figure it out. They got to figure it out. Yeah, um, but, but but now transitioning to, to favorite uh, sports moment of the year, and, and Kevin, uh, every year me and Savon, uh, w- when it gets to, to, to near near standpoint of the year, we, we kind of go back and look at like what was our kind of our top moment, whether it be like a game or performance or or just anything particular in sports. Um, to, to me personally, the the Giannis fifty point game six performance, clinching performance versus the Suns was just was nice. really really impressive because I mean that was a culmination for him. Obviously, how he how he was from the free throw line and just just having that 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 uh, that type of. Uh, clinching win, but to you, looking back at any moment or any, any game in particular, what would kind of be your favorite sports, sports moment of the year? Okay. I'm going to have a very, very particular one that unless okay. you knew somebody over in the area, you might not know about. Um, but I think it, it points to a really cool thing that happened. Um, just mm-hmm. the other day on Saturday, the South Oak Cliff Golden Bears high school football team won the state championship here in Very Texas. local. Very local. Yes, very, very local. Wow. And 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 that sounds very like like it's you know, but there's a couple things real quick. Oak Cliff is the area kind of I live at in Dallas. It's a neighborhood mm-hmm. called Oak Cliff. Y'all can even look up there's a song called Oak Cliff. And if you run into Dallas and you yell at Oak Cliff, you'll have like a hundred people yell back out a phrase saying, That's my hood, because it's a song that's real big over here, over here mm-hmm. and everything. But um mm-hmm. South Oak Cliff Golden Bears were the first team in the city of Dallas. When I say in the city of Dallas, I mean like actually in the city, which means mostly like black and brown schools, you know, um, mm-hmm. that has won a state championship in Texas officially since 1958. Oh, yeah, that's dope. Um, 1958, wow. yeah. Th- there was one team in 1988 who won. Um, if you've watched Friday Night Lights and you saw the uh, the team that won against the, the main team. Yeah, Carter, Carter. Dallas Carter. Yeah. It's right over here too in, in Oak Cliff. They won, but then that one got taken back because of like all kinds of legal <laughs> situations. But even if even if it was that, that means that there only was one other winner in sixty years. Because I, a lot of people have heard about how big Texas football is, but even mm-hmm. I didn't realize how big it was until I got here. Um, and I mean, we have like Kyler Murray played high school in a town called Allen, um, where they have a seventy-six million dollar football stadium, and. 
it's so big out here. The suburb, they got like professional coaches. People are trained to the umpteenth. They pay coaches thousands and thousands, if not even close to a million, if not a little bit over for high school football teams. And yet we have a team here in, you know, in the hood part of Dallas, in the inner city, quote unquote, that won the state championship with just people from the area. Like my own boss was underneath this coach when he went in another part of South Dallas being coached under Lincoln. And it's so big. It's such a big thing. Everybody I know from Dallas is talking about it. They had a whole Mm. parade in the city of Dallas with our mayor coming out. All of these things. It's just such an awesome story because all the schools here, even at best, um, all the best players wind up getting pulled out and recruited to all these other places. And you're not, and, Mm. and it's almost like there's never any hope, even for people who want to play sports and do this. So it was just a huge celebration um, it brought mm. people that graduated from like 1969. They were at the football Goodness. games, all this stuff. It's just a huge, amazing celebration that's been going on in the city of Dallas from all the people who are younger, older, and all of that going on. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't, I don't know how you're going to follow that. I don't know you can follow all that, all that history, but, but particular favorite sports moment of the year. Man, it was a tournament with, you know, nah, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I think it has to be, that's hard to follow that up, man. That's really dumb. It was bro. a pickup like, game. <laughs> Okay. Um I'm about to go Steph Curry, man. Past yes. Murray Allen, man. That was That's incredible. Just the, the amount of what he's done for the NBA and what he's done to <laughs> the NBA. Does like in the fashion he's done, like man, he's changing the, the aspect of the game. And I know a lot of people I, I see on TikTok point out like how they give up the the easy jump shot to shoot the three and like that's Steph. I, it's, it's it's good and bad, but that's Steph. <laughs> Steph will give up a jump shot and go to three point line and shit. But he did it in a fashion where he man he changed the game forever. The, the game will ever forever be changed. And the past Ray Allen for Ray Allen to pass Reggie Miller. I mean, obviously he already passed Reggie um Reggie Miller, but that was a dope moment. And I'm going to, I'm mm-hmm. interested to see who can come close because he has a lot of years left even with the injuries so i'm i'm, I'm yeah. intrigued of clay come on clay come on splash <laughs> come on january january return Please. come on go go to the jazz leave <laughs> kevin he he wants clay to break the record, <laughs> I, want the clay to break the record. I think for me, i think clay's the better shooter but Steph does it, and he just has that oomph on it. Like yeah. he just, mm-hmm. he's just saucy. Clay, Clay is fundamentally sound. Man, I think he's a, the better pure shooter. Shooting for pure. But Steph just got that mm, that sauce. You know what I mean? Like was it yeah. NBA Streets Volume Two? The little off the easy <laughs> type sauce, man. <laughs> Um, but, but now transitioning to, to our first album review for tonight, uh, starting off with, with Roddy Rich's uh, Live Life Fast. And in his second album, you know, th- there was a promising premise and buildup. Um, but, but, but to me, like kind of some of my initial takeaways, he, he really didn't add much kind of beyond his vocal presence. And there were kind of some sig- similar stagnant themes. Um, Roddy is kind of much better when he's in a meditative mood uh, with his song selection and the, kind of his introspective side, which is usually when he kind of gets better tracks like a Big Step on his last album. But to you, Kevin, kind of just like, what were your initial thoughts on this album? And do you think there was kind of any innovativeness or or signs of evolving from it? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> like, say what? I second that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I, I was, and I, I'm trying to, like, I still haven't got to my, okay, I had certain expectations. Let me take away those. Let me go back and listen right. type of thing. 
because I can I know I can set myself up that way a little bit. However, I do still think that man, I don't know. It just the 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 weirdest thing, and I I tried to find a way to summarize how I felt. It felt like a rushed album that was still two years in the making, which doesn't make sense because like you're waiting for two years, and then it felt like an album that was like a rough draft. You know, like it felt yeah. like it was like oh man, there's some stuff in here, but why does this sound off or why does this sound not good or doesn't it feel like he would change those lyrics for the flow to sound a little bit smoother and good and better and mm-hmm. and something about all the beats just none of them were bad or terrible it just kind of like it just felt like a little bit a tier below or something of what they could be I don't know like it, it just this felt incomplete yeah. it, it was just really complete and, and, it, and it didn't uh-huh. match yeah. what he was saying he was trying to do nope. to me at least nope. like like thing I even heard him say like he wasn't impressed with like 95% of the albums that were put out this year and I'm like man if <laughs> If you're saying that, you've got to be coming with something. <laughs> yeah, well, and also, I mean, even on the, his own album, like, what he's saying, like, he's talking about how this whole, like, the concept he gives to the album and all the little outro, or not little long outros for some of them, but, like, all the parts of talking and all those things, and then the next song plays, you're like, wait, what does that got to do with that? <laughs> like, <laughs> Exactly. It was yeah. just confusing. And look, sometimes I don't even care if you have that, because then at the end of the day, I'm like, if none of that was good, did it just sound good and I can just like bob my head and it's like memorable and it's just fun and cool, whatever. And it wasn't that either. So it, it just felt like it was going to try to do something, but then it quite didn't. So it didn't really hit anywhere particularly strong for me. It's not like mm-hmm. trash, trash or nothing, but like it just wasn't really much for me. Yeah. Um, so, so you say, Bon, kind of like some, what were some of your initial takeaways on it and um, j- 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 just kind of how you thought about it overall? What is this? That's that's what I've yeah like what is this bro like or what song rappers in state it's another song where he would just like try to use that voice his famous voice he uses like when mm-hmm. he could transition to like from his different it flows the it wasn't the same like he couldn't fit mm-hmm. like like that voice he uses all the time he tried to do that on one of these tracks I was like yeah 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 no 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 no, no, no. That worked on Pure Souls when he when he uh, was on Donda. That worked on that song. Yeah, it didn't work on it this worked album. on Woo. Mm-hmm. It worked on um fashion um of uh I fashion like it works it on those type of songs. He tried to do it on a beat that wasn't nah. Like Evan said, like no, bro. Like you could have switched up a flow. You could have just rap regular because you're a rapper. How about rapping? Mm-hmm. How about using hip hop? Like rap, bro. You don't have to you have to spaz out. List whole album. The only thing I'll no wrong one. And I hit the wrong one. The only thing I'll take away from this, he tried. Like the Alex Isley song with Tidala sign, like that that should have been longer. Slow it down. I don't know why that was like only like only like a minute or even less than a minute. (laughs) Yeah, this wasn't it, man. I wasn't even impressed with that one. To be completely honest with you, like I'm, mm. like I'm, I, I like Roddy. If you listen, if you look at how much music I listened to, he was my number third artist. Obviously, it's gonna be Drake. Mm. It was Party, and then it was Roddy Rich. I listened to so much music mm. of his last year, and this, mm. no sir. Yeah, no, yeah. Sir. I mean, there, there's there's it a couple it. parts, and weirdly, man, the beginning just felt really, really long. Like, yes, it did. The beginning of it, I was just like, I was literally ready to be like, okay, I'm gonna just take a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, I said no tips, but <laughs> I, I was like, man, and and I will say, it, it, there's parts of it to me that at least got a bit better, kind of towards the mm-hmm. end a little bit. But like, 
Like I, I really love like the only song I really kind of like really really like was Don't I, and then Little like Baby Don't verse I, yeah. from <laughs> Moved to Miami. <laughs> I'm just ready for a new Little Baby album. Honestly, look, I, I feel like Little Baby's coming with some heat. Like he, he got to stay in his pocket, bro. Like Late at Night is a song that's in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like he got to stay. I, but no, this is what I this is what I say. I wanted to do. I wanted to see him to do something different. But no, go back to what you did. On the <laughs> please excuse me, whatever the album was, <laughs> yeah. go back to that, like, cause that wasn't like, and it wasn't no single song, and for, for real, for real, he didn't, and he have a, a song that could have been like a single and stood off to the side, be like, hey, I'm here, like he couldn't, he had on something like that. Um, but, but natural things to, to Boldy James and the Alchemist uh, Super Techmo B review and. Just, just this latest EP from them contains production that that's kind of you know futuristic and has a grimy sound. Um, Boldy James just effortlessly slides over these beats and details personal stories from a firsthand account. Um, this was an extremely strong effort from from both artists, even though it may not have been as expansive or thematically compelling as some of their previous work. Um, to you, Kevin, kind of like what were your initial thoughts on this EP and how this just just duo works together? Mm, I, I now on the very other hand, I really really enjoyed this. Like mm-hmm. I, I've, I've listened to it several times. I had, I had listened when it first came out, then took a little bit of a break, and then recently this last week was like listening to it um, more often and everything. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I know it's again sometimes for some people they might not like this style or the rapping and all that, but I think um, whereas the say Roddy's album felt very loose to me and not like I don't know paying attention to the details and like fixing things and it sounding tight. This thing just sounded mixed well, it was produced well. Yes. It was mm-hmm. like. Uh, the lyrics are well. The beats match the themes of the songs well. I really enjoyed it. Like, I really, really, really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, honestly, like, uh, just hearing the different ways he tells stories, uh, how he switches. I mean, he's telling a story from bagging uh, bagging drugs to then being the person that's seen him and everything. Oh, I forgot what song it was. My mind just uh, blinked off on it. But um, the way he kind of just switches back and forth like that, um, I really enjoyed it. Like, overall, like, I really, really liked it. And in regards to some of these, like, Rapidy rap albums that have come out. Actually, this one and then the last one that I came on here to talk uh, talk about are, are two, uh, which uh, Pray for Paris or Pray for Haiti. Matt um, <laughs> Yeah, those are two mm-hmm. probably of my favorite albums that I've listened to in regards, especially in regards to just like straight up wanting to listen to rap and like listen to some dudes like talk really nice and everything. Um, two of my favorite ones. So yeah, I've, I really, really like this album a lot. Yeah, and, and in terms of just other standout albums as we're like like get, getting to, to the near point of, uh, at the end of the year like like are there any other ones that, any albums that are kind of like staying in your rotation and, and you're still going back to and listening to oh I, I this year I've, I've had a ton of albums like almost a lot of my favorite mm-hmm. artists whether they're big or not um released uh I'm a huge Isaiah Rashad fan oh wait yeah. I, I, we talked about this last time um I, I've enjoyed most of his album pretty good um besides some of the main like there's a couple of the singles that came out I really didn't like a lot but um, I liked that. Um, I've liked, I liked most of Donda. Um, I was cool with that. Um, mm-hmm. Tyler's album, I played a lot. I mean, I'm literally wearing a J. Cole off-season hoodie right now. Um, <laughs> so I did like that album. Actually, the most is, is what I've liked the most. Um, out of like those big, yeah. big projects. It's still, it's still high up there for me. Yeah, so Tyler, yeah. Tyler went in. Yeah, I, for me, the, the, that one's one I know I'm just always probably going to listen to. Um, but yeah, in regards to rap, I'm trying to remember some of the others that weren't like Oh, and Vince Stables. Vince Stables had one of my favorite, yes. favorite period albums um, this year, too. Like, one of my most played, most listened to, um, all that. I love Vince Stables, and I've loved him having a more, 
for me, at least, Accessible Sound, his last couple albums, before that, you know, he was trying some of the other kind of sounds. To me, weren't really, like, the sound I like listening to, but um, I, I liked it. So those are some of my favorite ones I've listened to this year. Got it. Um, but, but to you, Savon, in terms of uh, this EP, what were kind of some of your initial uh, takeaways from it? It started really slow, <clears throat> but that's, that's mm-hmm. what happens when you storytell. And your lyrical, every story is not going <laughs> to start out fast. But I like, it. Was, yeah. it's, his flow is different. Like, it's, um, mm, his flow, I would say his flow is different. I like I like it, though. It's, it's something that you got to get, you definitely have to get used to if you never heard an artist rap like that. It's more nonchalant. And it's like, sometimes he's over the beat. Sometimes he's like, under you know, underwhelming under the beat. And it's, you got to catch it. Sometimes you just want to bob the rhythm. But sometimes he switches his flow up. He gets nonchalant with it. Not lazy, but just, you know, you get like mm-hmm. in tune and you get lost a little bit. You just like on a rant and mm-hmm. just going. That's why I feel like how he raps. But I think every, all the production, mix and mastering, everything sounds solid. And um, I think this was a dope project for, for well, a dope EP. I think it was really dope. Mm-hmm. And I like the story, storytelling. Yeah. That's hip hop. That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> Going back to that. That's hip hop. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, but, but now interesting to, to Benny the Butcher's uh, uh, Mr. Pyrex Pyrex Man single. Uh, this new single from him is is from the newly announced Black Soprano Family comp- compilation tape, uh, Long Live uh, DJ Shea. And he reveals in this track kind of his hatred for the work of lesser lyricists and carries kind of a confident attitude and vibe throughout it. Um, to you, Kevin, like, what did you kind of think about this single and some of your expectations for maybe like what his next album uh, c- could sound like in the future? Um, I will say right now, I forgot to listen to this single. Oh, well, <laughs> you, you just give us thoughts on Benny. You just give us thoughts on Benny. Like, like what you like oh, about Benny? <laughs> I love Benny. Benny had one of my favorite albums last year. I mean, actually, he might have had my favorite album last year. Um, so I, I love I that. Love album. Benny. I'm excited. Uh, I love Griselda putting out a million songs. Sometimes I kind of want them to maybe think of like a how do I just get like one particularly great one but I kind of like their yeah. kind of music they put out a lot and I'm always listening to all of it so um and Benny to me is like my favorite rapper to listen out of everybody in regards to just mm-hmm. rapping in Griselda like just I can put it on he picks good beats he matches well on it and he picks beats to me that aren't it's not just like backpack underground stuff only he picks some really good like nice stuff to just play um, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't heard this one yet though, but I'm excited anytime he's about to put something out. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, but, uh, to, to you, Savon, in terms of this, uh, uh, the, the, the new single that he dropped and what he has going forward, kind of like some of like, what are your initial expectations for it? And what did you think about this track? This is a vintage buddy, Benny the Butcher song, man. I think it, um, he definitely goes off on a lot of people talking about, I really hate y'all album, but my album be popping. So it's really like, <laughs> man, Benny, Benny the Butcher's funny, bro. Like, dude's funny. Dude's funny. But it was a vintage Benny the Butcher song, though, for real. Yeah, definitely. Um, but been interesting uh, to Alina Baraz's Moongate EP. And this latest release from her was one that kind of included, you know, self-harmonies and lush vibes. J- just a very smooth, mood-inducing installment and Baraz's uh, repertoire that will kind of hold her fans over until her next project. Um, but to you, Kevin, in terms of her smooth sound and all of the feels that are included in it, um, did anything stand, stand, out to you, uh, uh, stand out to you in this particular style of hers and how you just kind of felt about this EP? Uh, yeah, so I hadn't really listened to her much um, at all. I, I realized I had heard her before, um, mm-hmm. but, um, well, the first song, there's one song that stood out to me was Change My Mind. 
um, which I thought was a great song. Uh, so I played that one like a lot over and over. I hadn't even heard this EP till recently. And so I love that song particularly. The rest of it, it I guess because my other area right outside of hip hop that I listen to mostly and it happens to be, I don't know if they're just killing it right now. It seems to mostly be women's R&B. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so and so the only thing that's a little bit with her, like her music sounds good and, and how she's going is good. Um, some of the people who I, I'm assuming are influences on her, people like Janae Aiko or Sabrina Claudio, or kind of kind of get those feels a little bit from her music. Um, yeah. It's hard for me cool. not to think of them when I listen to it. Cool. Doesn't get mentioned enough. Who is it? Cleo Soul. Oh, Cle- oh my gosh. Like, I'm not comparing yeah. nobody to Cleo Soul. That was like my favorite album, period, this year. But that's a whole nother <laughs> That's a whole nother topic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we reviewed that too. Mother was that that was that was up there. Yeah, that that that's that was incredible. And and this was good though. This is really, really like I was listening to it out out uh doing some tasks, doing some Christmas shopping, kind of by myself with my headphones on, just feeling it. I was like, man, this is pretty good. Uh, and then changed my mm-hmm. mind. I played that like Several times recently. So it's pretty good. Uh, I, I, like I said, I don't know her too well. Um, mm-hmm. But it, there's definitely enough in here to make me go, oh, you know, look up who she was. Apparently she's she's Russian. That was very interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so... <laughs> you wouldn't <expect> that. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like a Russian R&B artist now. So, I mean... Yeah. Um, but, 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 but to you, Savon, like, what were kind of some of your initial takeaways on this EP and just, like, how you feel about her particular style and sound? I like her later work. I mean, I like her previous work. I wasn't really vibing with this one. Um, I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of Urban Flora. Like, I used to listen out on Pandora all the time in college, bro. Like, if I'm just studying or writing, like, a paper, I'll just put on her station on Pandora and listen to it. But this, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't really... I'm on. Not, I'm on. I'm not on mute. Okay, good. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> y'all was quiet. And I was like, wait, do they hear me? <laughs> no, for real, I was like, hey, I didn't hear nobody say like a yeah or anything acknowledging him. I'm talking or not. So like, <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry. We gotta get through this. We gotta get through this. But no, I like her later work. This wasn't mm, wasn't my cup of tea. I'll just keep it short, mm-hmm. sweet. And, and is that kind of the thing? Like sometimes with the artist, Savon, like when you're so used to their previous work and, and kind of their core sound, sometimes it, like their later work just doesn't hit the same. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all like an ear thing too, man. Like your ear, like my mm-hmm. ear tells me if I'm going to like it or not, like soon off the real. I think we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago too. Like in certain songs, you know, you're like, oh, wait, 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 that sounds really good. Like before you mm-hmm. even hear a word or you just hear the, the, the beat or the instruments playing, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's, that's a vibe. And then you'll mm-hmm. get into it. Then it's making you want to intrigue to get into it and listen to it more and see if it's, it's a whole song you'll listen to. But none of these songs kind of grabbed my ear and was like, okay. Because I, I like her music. Like I have like I said, mm-hmm. Pandora, like before we had album music, before we had Spotify, all that, before it was a streaming service, like it, Pandora was the thing and she was on there. So that's oh. why I, I rock with her like way, way back. You know what I mean? Oh, see, I'm, I might, that actually kind of causes me to get a little more Interesting, because like I said, it was it was hard for me to hear some of it without thinking of other people whose music heard that sound kind of was like that. I was like, ah, this other one's a little bit better. Um, yeah. And so I might actually check out some more too still. Definitely. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Spider-Man No Way Home review. Welcome back. 
Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into a review of Spider-Man No Way Home. And to start with the overview, Spider-Man No Way Home is a 2021 superhero film uh, based on the Marvel Comics character Spider-Man, co-produced by Columbia Pictures and Marvel Studios and distributed by Sony Pictures Releasing. It is a sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home, also the 27th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, directed by John Watts and written by Chris McKenna and Eric Sommers, starring Tom Holland, Zendaya, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jacob uh, Badalin, John Favreau, Jamie Foxx, William Defoe, Alfred Molina, uh, Benedict Wong, Tony Reveille, uh, Marisa Tome, Andrew Garfield, and Tobey Maguire. And in the film, Peter asked Doctor Strange to make his identity as Spider-Man a secret again, with the magic following its public revelation far from home. And this breaks open the multiverse, allowing supervillains from alternate realities who have fought alternate versions of Parker to enter uh, this universe. It had a budget of $200 million and brought in $637.6 million in the box office. Um, also had a 94% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so you, Kevin, started off, what were your initial thoughts on this film? And do you feel as though, like, you feel as though it lived up to the sky high expectations that came with it. Yes, um, I love the movie. Um, I, I I think it definitely lived it up to it. I I, I will. I, I'm only saying this a little bit tempered, slightly, only because of some some ways it's been talked about a little bit. I don't think it was like the best movie ever, but mm. I loved it. And for the the level of expectations that it had to even live up to those is an amazing accomplishment. I loved it. It was it was like authentically emotional, um, and it felt really um, yeah. It was just I think like like the way you got to see Tom Holland like kind of uh, just wrestle with some of these different thoughts and kind of see him kind of had that anger and rage in a way that he hadn't had before, and just kind of like going through guilt and kind of having his Uncle Ben moment almost. This is weird because it's almost like all these movies, and we're just now about to start getting like actual. Yeah. Regular, fully responsible power comes responsibility, Spider-Man, you know? Like we've seen mm-hmm. Spider-Man in like what I think it's seven movies now. Um, mm-hmm. total, yeah. including all the ones he's in. And we're just now about to get like this is literally right, like almost like his origin story almost. Exactly. <laughs> and um, and I think that's an amazing thing because you're gonna be able to see him to start to lead and do well. Or um, I don't know, there's been a lot of talk about him maybe kind of stepping back a little bit. I don't know, but either way, the movie itself I thought was awesome, it was fun. They, they definitely were giving their fans, like, a gift with so many things in the movie. Yep. I was hyped when I saw my dude, uh, Charlie Cox, being Daredevil. I was, like, mm-hmm. literally yes. in my seat with my arms raised. Because, like, uh, Daredevil is one of my favorite things that MCU has made. So I knew he was going to be around. But just to see him in there being the lawyer, uh, it was incredible. Like, just so many fan moments are amazing. And, of course, seeing Toby in there, like, anyone my age. Brought back the nostalgia. Ago, yeah, when you when you see Toby brought back in, you know, like you know, it's just gonna be, uh, it's gonna be hard to miss. But it, it could have been a way, a way they could have done that wrong. But like, I think they nailed it. I think they did an amazing job. Definitely. Um, and, and so you say, Von, kind of like, what were your j- just initial takeaways from it, and what you liked about it the most? Man, hats out to the hats off to the writers, man. Chris McKenna, <clears throat> excuse me, Eric Somers, man. I love how they waited, like Kevin just. Uh, I pointed to that they waited to the last minute to do like the origin story of him having his Uncle Bimo or Aunt May moment or whatever the case may be. I love the way they did it. They did it where we have the multiverse, we have the other Spider-Mans, and then they get to grieve with them and give their background or how they went through it and how they were rage. And it's just like the whole like coming back to fruition, like 
we we always was given the origin story at the first movie. That's with Amazing mm-hmm. Spider-Man, and that's with Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Now we've seen Spider-Man seven movies. We didn't get the origin story because we assumed that Uncle Ben already died, and Aunt May was just the 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 wife. But in any case, but I love how the writers did it, how they wrote everybody in. How, but the only thing I say I wanted them to do was give Daredevil a bigger part. They teased us. Kevin, you, you were mentioning that before. Kevin, you were mentioning how you did want him to have a bigger part. <laughs> yes, bro. Because I, 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 I did too, but I was also okay with them not, just in case it was going to wind up being too many people. I was okay with knowing, hey, he's going to be here later. It's like having a good appetizer somewhere. Like, hey, I'd rather be left wanting more than being like, man, why'd they put too much there? That being mm-hmm. said, I still would have been cool with him being in there more. <laughs> yeah, because when he caught the piece or whatever, I was like, oh, <laughs> we about to see some later. But he never came. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, dang, man. But yeah, absolutely. Um, but now getting to our first topic from one of four stars, what would you give it? Um, I would definitely give it four as th- this film just really expanded the scope and stakes of this franchise without kind of losing sight of, of its of its heart and uh, of its heart and humor. Um, to you, Kevin, like from one to four stars, what would kind of be your particular rating for it and some of your reasons? Uh, I'm going to give it like a three and a half. Like, okay. and that's like, I just consider like, I, I think it's very, very good. I think, um, like I said, I mean, and that for me is like incredibly high. It's not like there's anything lacking necessarily. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Like everything I already said earlier, um, all the performances, we kind of talked a little bit earlier about like just William Defoe killed it. Andrew Garfield <laughs> killing yes. it. Mm-hmm. Um, Toby didn't even have to kill it. Like Toby could just really have around to. and he just came off the bench, got it like like 10, <laughs> 10, 10 points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Toby could have just like popped up. He's like an old person going into the game for the Lakers. All these old dudes, the Lakers fans love it. Like they love it. Hey, like Isaiah Thomas got a standing ovation, you know, at crypto. Uh, I'm sorry, just practicing that. Um, <laughs> you know, and 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 but Toby still did great. The writing was mm-hmm. incredible. Yes, it was yes, funny. It was. Mm-hmm. it was it was uh just good. Um got to see Jamie Foxx be kind of more of the real Jamie Foxx and not like the yes. the, the next give him a hairline. Get, 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 get that man hairline <laughs> <laughs> oh, they did. That was they did that and then they used the same CGI they did with the uh with Alfred Molina, like making him look a little bit younger. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 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 so you say, Ron, kind of like what would be your particular rating from uh, from one of four stars? Four stars for sure, man. I think what Kevin was was saying earlier. I think the writers made it perfectly where it wasn't too many people in the scene. They didn't overbear each other. Some people didn't have a line. The doctor, the lizard, didn't talk until like later down the road. So that's perfect mm-hmm. to lead up to you know, a suspension or whatever. It was like, I didn't even know you talked. So it's just like <laughs> they, the writers did such a great job getting all these personalities together and just being able to write them in and not being overbearing and having the right jokes here and there. And I love how they killed off Aunt May. Aunt May, she was so gangster. I love that because Uncle Ben died. So like, you know what I mean? Even when they show him dying by the other guy, he was just like, it was just a gun went off. And then the it was just like I feel like her her dying was better because she tried to knock. She went out like a G. She went out like a G. She was like, I just need a rest. I just need a rest. We're good. No, we, you didn't do the. You didn't do nothing wrong. We're, it was just like how they killed her off. <laughs> it was just bad. How they killed her off was just so good. Like because we always get the the normal like, oh they're helpless. They're old. In the case maybe uh, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Because Uncle yeah, Ben died because he was a pure. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta chill. You gotta chill. 
Ben is reenacting. He has a tear coming down. <laughs> like, it was just like, okay, bro, we know you got shot, but, like, you don't have to do all that. <laughs> Um, but, but, shaming. Exactly. But now getting to, to favorite character and, and kind of a character that, a, a returning one that, you know, was a villain, Otto Octavius, he yeah. kind of really represents humanity's ambition for knowledge and in the end becomes a valuable ally, which, you know, while recognizing his mistakes, which kind of sets him apart from the other villains. Yeah. Um, to you, uh, Kevin, like, was there a particular character in this one that, that kind of stood out to you the most? Hmm. I mean, I think William Defoe's character like mm-hmm. was just such a good um way to show kind of that struggle and wrestle that's going on. I, I think it really was really cool because you think about that time in which this movie came out and the times that we live in now, and like things like say something like mental health awareness is like so much more heightened right now than it was back then. Right. Yeah. And whereas we just seen someone back then being like, yo, this dude's crazy, he has two personalities. Now we'd be way more like, yo, this guy might be like schizophrenic. He might like he's literally schizophrenic. He needs help with stuff, you know. He needs to be uh, helped with some with some uh, therapy and medicine and things going on that he's not even uh, necessarily doing. Versus before, it was more so he's just like a villain. Because um, with Otto, like you kind of knew if you watched the other, you knew he was a good dude. Yeah, and he just had literally th- other things that were affecting him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I think William Defoe really helped that, and obviously he represented the ultimate version of this kind of like redemption arc of not kind of repaying vengeance for vengeance and doing those things because obviously towards the end, whenever Peter can kill him, um, and then goes to kill him, <laughs> um, and then the other Peter comes and stops it, um, that kind of redeems that whole uh, narrative of him being able to still be alive and everything. And I think he's since he's the one that killed Aunt May, like he's the worst in the in Peter's eyes and in the movie's eyes, you view him as kind of being bad that way. And so I think he did an incredible job. And of course, honestly, he's getting underrated because he's the main person, but there's a lot of people, but Tom Holland killed it in this movie. I think he did his best, best like acting performance. Yeah. In this movie. Yeah. For Spider, like getting angry, uh, being incredibly sad, kind of the, the rage he had when that was going on. Um, But still having that kind of sense of goodness in him. I think he, he did an amazing job as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, to you, Savon, uh, who was kind of like your favorite uh, a particular uh, character in this one? It got to be Peter Parker, man. And, um, for multiple reasons. I like how Which they one? developed Which one? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Parker, same thing, bro. Same thing. Same, uh, same guy. Computer. It's a computer. Tom Holland's Peter Parker, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure. I, look, I like how they developed him more now. Like he went through every emotion. We 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 forget this guy is a kid in high school, right? Mm-hmm. And he's been on these big adventures. He's fought with the Avengers, which is super funny. Today. It was like y'all don't have adventure Avengers <laughs> in your universe, which was so is that funny. A band? Is that a band? Are you a band, dude? Are you the band? Like that was so funny. Um, but I like how they developed him. I like how he was going through every emotion, trying to figure out who he was as a person, individual, and trying to, mm-hmm. you know, separate him being Spider-Man and want to be Peter Parker. And sometimes you can't do both. You have to, mm-hmm. you have to like um Dr. Strange was saying, like, you can't, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go both. You're trying to figure out who you want to be. You're Spider-Man. That's who you, that's who you have to be. Peter Parker is just a, a, a side note. Unfortunately, but I love how they develop him. How he went through all the stages of grief. Like he wanted to kill him, 
But it was so fun, and we're not getting to the scenes yet. But I'll, 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 yeah. But Tom Holland's Peter Parker is one of my favorite characters. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I mean, like when 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 you have a character like that who's following up two other ones, like to, to, to you, Kevin, like how much pressure, like do you think it's kind of like on a, a particular new Spider-Man to kind of live up to the legacy of like of past ones? Bro, I think it was incredible pressure. Not not just living up to. The other ones, but I mean, Spider-Man's more than likely probably the most popular superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're jumping into a franchise that's been dominating without having, you know, a Spider-Man lead it. Or, you know what right. I mean? Like, it wasn't like Wolverine or like people who are the most common popular. You had other people coming in and already doing amazing jobs. And now you're about to bring Spider-Man into it. Like, that's going to be really, really high that's, expectations. Uh... I don't know. I thought it was more easier because he, because he had a whole other franchise to come in. Avengers really helped yeah. him transition into that on the yeah transition. Because mm-hmm. now, if he would have, they would have came out with like it, I think it was more pressure for uh, Robert Downey Jr. with Iron Man or Chris Evans with um, yeah, because they came out with just their single films. Single films. Like, it was like or like yeah. origin story. But with Tom Holland, he came in a situation where we are we was going to accept them anyways because we were waiting for Spider Man to get there. Yeah. So I think was, I, I think they definitely had to do more work. Like mm-hmm. they were like having to do like a like a Luca in Dallas or or Dame in Portland. But like <laughs> the Thor <laughs> one was was doo doo, and Thor two wasn't that good either. And it didn't really crater it, or people weren't really like up in arms necessarily about it, right? Like, um, right. versus I think if the Spider-Man would have been bad, I think it would have been really, really, like, big. It would have been bigger. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, uh, I remember people would joke about fighting with girls. And I remember this little kid said it one time. He goes, man, that's not fair because if she beats me up, I'm going to look really bad. But if I hit her back, I just beat a girl. Like, like I don't win either way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm saying with, with, with Spider-Man, kind of like you're saying, you do get to plug and play and you do get yeah. to come in to do something well. But man, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't hit that, man, you're going to get like, That's it's like KD going to the Warriors too or something, you know, like something yeah. like if you don't meet that expectation, yeah. you're going to get like crushed. Definitely. Um, but now interesting to most memorable scenes, um, I had the arrival of the, of the Peter Parkers in the MCU, <laughs> uh, the appearance of Matt Murdock, uh, the rehabilitation of the villains, yeah. um, revelation that Doctor Strange isn't the Sorcerer Supreme anymore, um, Green Goblin yeah, stabbing yeah. Peter Parker to um, everyone's loss of memory over Peter's identity, Spider-Man's defeat of Doctor Strange, and then finally uh, the death of Aunt May. Um, but to you, Kevin, like looking back at this film, like kind of like what were some of your memorable uh, scenes in this one? Man. The one that has probably just... There's two that have probably been stuck in my head the most uh, for two totally different reasons. The first one being the death of Aunt May. Like, that whole... Yeah, that was... Yeah. That whole thing. And, man, they did it so well. Because mm-hmm. right when you had a little bit of a relief, you're like, oh, okay, she's cool. Because like, at first, you're like, oh, no, did she get hit? Like, I, I thought of, you know, whatever Aunt May, when the Green Goblin hit the, the apartment oh, in she- the original Spider-Man? Yeah, the first one. Yeah, and I was like, oh, it's the same thing, kind of. You know, they're doing the same kind of deal. But I was like, oh, but she's good. Okay, cool, cool. She and didn't then, look right in this one. It just you just had the feeling like, nah, yeah, she wasn't gonna make it. But 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 it gave you enough to let your guard down just a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And then they bring it back in with a oh no, she's really and his act like it was it was that one was tough. Like you know, my wife was next to me like already tearing up and everything. So that one was a huge <laughs> one, and that obviously gets Peter to be in his like mode of like what he's wanting to do, and it feels real. Like I wouldn't have thought Tom Holland could really come off being that like angry or wanting to do that but it came off very genuine and 
Um, the other one I just really, really love. I really love when they were up on the the Statue of Liberty and all the Spider-Man just yes. like, talking. Man, I love that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, I really, really, really just enjoyed uh, Andrew Garfield just just talking yeah, and joking yeah. and and them just kind of chatting and doing those things. Like, wait, so you can do this or wait? So you know, like, <laughs> kind of like what I mentioned earlier. Yeah, but we're, like, yeah, we're not trying to say like we can't do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I I just really really enjoyed that scene. That was just such a fun scene to mm-hmm. me. Like, just them hanging out and even before anything started. And then once they start fighting and all that kind of going on, I just thought it was that was a really fun scene to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, t- to you, Savon, like, what were kind of some of the memorable scenes in this one that, that stood out to you the most? Besides the one that you already mentioned, it was two that stood out stood out to me. Um, one when Tobey Maguire came in, and then Andy Garfield was like, "Hold up, that's not the friend." And they looked at each other, and then he'd start yeah. whipping each other. He went, oh goodness, yeah. He was like, "Oh, oh yeah, hmm, yeah." I did think to do that. That was a dope scene. And then when um, <clears throat> Tom Holland's Spider-Man came in there after the spell was done and MJ and he had the opportunity to say something. He saw Ned. He didn't say anything. He just looked like Mm. the look said it all. Like that's, I can't wait for the next one. The look said it all, how they were, how they're going to write the the next film. But I I love that scene because it it told so much. Like I have the opportunity to say something, but you guys, I I don't want to be selfish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. That's what I read into it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and now getting into most memorable quotes, um, I had Peter, you're struggling to have everything you want while the world tries to make you choose from Norman Osborn. Um, you're flying out into the darkness to fight ghosts from Dr. Otto. Uh, the part of the problem is not Mysterio. It's you trying to live two different lives. The longer you do that, the more dangerous it becomes from Dr. Strange. Mm-hmm. Um, if you expect disappointment, then you will never be disappointed from MJ. Mm-hmm. Um, with great power comes great responsibility from Aunt May. And then finally, it's their fate. You can't change that anymore. Then you can change who they are from Dr. Strange. Um, to you, Kevin, like kind of like what was one of your particular quotes that that you really liked the most in this one? Oh, of course. The my favorite quote is whenever he asked him if uh when Andrew Garfield asked Toby McGuire if he's gonna go get suited up or or if he's gonna go as a cool youth pastor. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that that one, like in regards to just laugh out loud humor, which Spider-Man always is. That's like a thing, you know, that's his thing. He's he's funny, he's always cracking jokes. That one was hilarious. Um I'm trying to think. There was, uh, man, besides the ones you just mentioned, um, mm-hmm. man, th- those are most of the ones I'm probably thinking of, to be honest. Like, I like how they slightly adjusted Aunt May. She said the version just like, just a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah honestly, I, I can't even think of any others right now that kind of stood out a little bit more than those. Look, and, and we have a new guest coming, Alex Hampson. Alex Hampton, uh, head, head of Momentum uh, Media. Uh, thank you so much for being back on, Alex. To, to you, kind of like we, we were, me, me, Kevin, and Savon were just mentioning like our initial uh, thoughts and just uh, takeaways from this film. What were kind of some of your takeaways from this movie and like what you liked about it the most? Best Spider Man movie ever. Ever? <laughs> ever. Whoa. Uh, I mean, like, it, so. Initially, going into it, you know, there was a whole lot of rumors surrounding, you know, Toby, Andrew are going to be in it and, you know, Daredevil yeah. and all this other stuff, and which were great moments in the movie. But I think this was, I said in my review, this is a poetic uh, ending or a poetic transition to where Spider-Man's going to go in future films if Tom Holland chooses to uh, continue the character. But I really enjoyed mm-hmm. the film from how he, you know, like it's... I noticed that what he's 
what Tom is doing in the movie, it's not about him, like, changing his life. It's the reason why he asked Doctor Strange to make that, you know, that spell is because, you know, his friends don't get admitted to, I, uh, you know, MIT because his friends, you know, his friends are tied to him as Spider-Man. And then, you know, he, yeah. you know, he's facing legal action. People are coming to his house and vandalizing stuff. So it's like, what can I do to minimize this? And then he goes to the closest person that he knows is Doctor Strange. And while he's messing up the spell, he, he creates a multiverse uh, event where he's allowing these other evildoers come to the, uh, mm-hmm. to his universe. And I think the way they told this story, I mean, obviously there's some plot holes, but the way they told the story of how Peter had to deal with everything. I've not only did we see a human, yeah. in my opinion, a human Spider-Man, but someone that we've seen grow from the Tony Stark, Iron Man Jr. Spider-Man to Spider-Man. Like he, this is the first mm. time we saw this Peter Parker go through tragedy. And this is also the first time we see Peter Parker, you know, lose the closest thing to him, which is his mom. Well, not his mom, but his Aunt May. And then, um, me, yeah. what I realized, though, I don't know if you guys caught this, when the other Spider-Man were talking about Uncle Ben, Tom Holland's Spider-Man never mentions an Uncle Ben at all. So it just makes me realize, because I've seen it twice now, I don't think that Uncle mm-hmm. Ben, in terms of this version of Spider-Man, played an ultimate narrative in his story. Because uh, mm-hmm. if he if it did, we would have gotten somewhat of a mention of him. I know we got a mention of Uncle yeah, Ben in the uh, Disney Plus series, What If, when Spider-Man was like the Doctor Strange what if scenario, but that that's not canon to Tom Holland Spider Man. So, like I when I when I saw it again, I realized when Toby and Andrew were talking about Uncle Ben and what he said, um, Tom mm. never mentions an Uncle Ben. It's like there's a look on his face as though, who's Uncle Ben? Who are you talking about? You know, um, the only mm. thing that he had uh, prior to his parents was his Aunt May, and also another thing we never heard anything about. Tom's Tom Holland's version of his parents. So so far, right. so all we know is that Aunt May has been there essentially from the start, and for him to lose the very thing that he that he loved a, a lot, you know, from from the beginning up until now, that was the first time we see some something like that rock him. Because if you look at Homecoming and Far From Home, there wasn't nothing mm-hmm. in those movies that really rocked him. I know in Homecoming. That's when we see him not relying so much on the the suit that that uh, that Iron Man gave him, and then in Far From Home we see him trying to you know be a teenager and have fun, and then in this movie he's forced to be an adult in a sense while yeah. dealing with all these real life situations. Yeah, step up. Note, we see him get canceled in the beginning of the movie, and he has to work through that. You know, that's that's just that's true. <laughs> Yeah, and, 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 and to you, Savon, were there were there like one or two memorable quotes from this movie that you kind of had that that kind of uh, were the main headlines for you in this one? Obviously, the exchange when he was like, uh, when they were talking about never play or being a part of a team, not a team player, he was like, well, I have them mean to brag about the Avengers thing besides that. And then um, when Peter Parker, I think uh, Andrews Garfield's character was like, I love you guys. And they both looked at each other was like, Thank you. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. That's not what you're supposed to say when somebody says I love you. But those no. were dope quotes. Yeah. Um, and, and Alex, were there any like quotes or, or, or scenes in this one that, that kind of like were the main, main, like the top tier ones that you kind of remember the most Yo, in this the movie? The best scene in this movie, 
<laughs> I I feel is when um when Peter lunges after MJ and the Green Goblin catches him, and then Andrew Garfield uh, immediately says yes. no, and he jumps to capture. It's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, they recreated a scene from one of the most terrible Spider-Man movies <laughs> into this. Man, come on, bro! Oh, oh my god, it wasn't goodness. that bad, bro. I think Spider-Man was decent enough, bro. It wasn't that. I bad. I think the Amazing Spider-Man was dope. The Amazing Spider-Man Two, trash. That's just my opinion. <laughs> That's my opinion. They, they recreated. They recreated one of the most iconic scenes from the comics and also in that movie. Yeah. And yeah. It's not how he catches her. It's the moment when, when you look at Andrew Garfield's face, it's like he caught. Uh, it's like he came to terms of what happened with Gwen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and that was one of my favorite scenes. Another favorite scene of mine, which kind of goes neck and neck, is when they're on the rooftop and they're explaining to Peter. You know, trying to console him, saying, "We know what you've lost." And this was the first time I believe Peter has ever related to anybody. In the MCU, yeah, where they've lost something close to him, you know, like the the both of the Spider Man telling him about Uncle Ben, and then you know telling telling him we can get through this. Um, and my theater, mm-hmm. I don't know how you guys theaters was. Cause I went, I went on Friday, and then I saw it again recently uh, tonight. And um, my theater erupted the moment uh, Ned accidentally brought Andrew Garfield into our world. Yes, it was just one big nerdgasm in a sense. Like, just everyone was just going crazy. <laughs> and then same thing with Toby. But so those would have to be my favorite scenes. But the, the best quotable line is, is that when they're in the, uh, when they're in the, uh, uh, the lab and Ned's like, hey, Peter, and they all answer like, what? Like what? Like, no, not you, Peter. Like, like. <laughs> a unanimous what? <laughs> exactly. He's like, Peter one, Peter one, I need your help. And I think another quotable line, he was like, when uh, Peter asked him to run diagnostics, he's like, uh, yeah, I'm never going to betray you and turn into a supervillain and try to kill you. And every all the Spider-Men <laughs> are looking at him like, where is this coming from? Like, And I think my favorite quotable line, uh, now that I think about it, is when they're when they're about to get ready to battle, and they're asking Toby. He was like, you know, it's cool that you can generate webs, but does it come out anywhere else? Like, (laughs) like you you know, I chuckle hard at that. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I was just like, you know, that was that was hilarious. But and he was like, I can't really explain it. It just happens, you know. I just I have had a web block before, and we saw that in Spider Man too. So like Mm -hmm. those scenes, in a sense, were um, were dope in quotable lines. I wouldn't say this though. I, I I love the Daredevil cameo. I think that was a dope thing seeing Charlie Cox on screen. But it provided nothing for yeah. the story. <laughs> like it provided nothing, absolutely nothing for the movie. Nothing. It was yeah. simply fan. I think it's more just of a setup, a little bit, because you know, like Daredevil and Spider Man, like since they're so, they usually interact a lot in the comics. So they're probably just gonna mm-hmm. throw it in there, let y'all know he's coming back and gonna be involved in some way. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can we talk Absolutely. about the last scene before we go with uh, Tom Hardy's with the when he was drunk at the the bar? Oh, I wanted Can we to talk mention about that, that too. Like, oh that, so, oh. so I think okay. So I like the I like the post credit scene as you know the bartender's explaining to him what our world is going through. I do feel like it was yeah. a throwaway scene because in Venom, let there be Connor. Spoiler alert: He gets brought into the MCU. 
and it's it's, mm-hmm. setting, it's 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 alluding to the fact that these two people are gonna fight. Like we're gonna have an encounter mm-hmm. of some kind. But when we get to No Way Home and he leaves that piece of venom behind, there's so many questions. Like, okay, are we gonna get our version of Eddie Brock in the MCU facing off against to- uh, Tom, or is it gonna be Flash Thompson, or is you know? And since now that Tom's by himself, uh, is he going to get the black suit and then have to go through what he went through with the black suit? And then it goes on to the MCU's version of Eddie Brock. I, you know, I never believed that Tom, Tom Hardy's Venom would fight Tom Holland's Spider-Man. I never believed that. I still don't believe that even seeing that scene because that's why I feel like that scene was kind of pointless. But at the same time, to see yeah. the, the, the Venom... Uh, symbiote left in the MCU. There's so many possibilities and and uh, storylines that they can go through now. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, when you look at at this at, at this particular storyline, like what did you like the most about it? To me, just how it balanced Peter Parker's story with nearly kind of like 20 years of legacy elements, and also the new image they let Green Goblin take on as it kind of brings him much closer to the comics version of the character. Um, to you, Kevin, like what particular element of this storyline did you kind of like the most? I think it's just kind of showing and displaying, like, the type of person that Spider-Man is supposed to represent and be. It's kind of like the thing that Aunt May was talking to him about, like, kind of the idea, like, she even knew she was dying, and she's still saying, I'm committed to being a type of person, doing a right type of thing that we value, even if it looks to be wrong in the moment, or even if it doesn't look like it's, like, pragmatically working. But, like, there's a certain value, there's a certain thing— and for you, this is who you are, and you should be this way and not allow these circumstances to change that. Um, I, the, the, my only critique a little bit with some of the movie was they, they got to the let's save the villains really quick without it being too sympathetic towards them. Like, I mean, you start to, you feel for William Defoe a little bit that way, and, and you see the stuff with the others, but um, it didn't like, I don't know, that, that part just got in really quick, but that, that theme, though, I think was really good to be like, this is what Peter's doing. He's not just viewing people as like, oh, you're evil. I'm going to help you or help the other person against you. But like really trying to help people at their core, even if it's kind of to your own detriment, potentially, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think obviously her dying and doing that is going to kind of continue to extend to him doing whatever it takes. And we see that whenever he, towards the end, we don't know what it's going to look like later necessarily, but like where he didn't just go, hey, I know you, and let me prove all these things. It was like, you know what? I could potentially bring y'all damage right now, so let me let y'all do what you're doing, and I'm going to kind of walk off for a little bit and, you know, um, Mm -hmm. do this, because I think wherever I go, maybe some stuff might follow. Yeah, definitely. Um, So you, Savon, like, what particular element of this storyline did you kind of like the most? That we finally got a um, somewhat of an origin story for Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and that how they developed him. How they they went he went through like the so much in like the span of like three four days of him being mm-hmm. what Alex uh, referred to earlier him having to be grown being canceled wanting his friends uh, wanting to go for right from wrong listening to his family like just going through all of that in the span of three or four days where man that's a crazy for anybody and he was a high school student so we we always have to put that variable in but I love how. They develop and has more as a character to see the, the more intensive side of Tom Holland, Spider-Man. But yeah. Definitely. Um, to, to you, Alex, what element of this storyline did, did you kind of uh, like the most out, out of all of them? And also, what was kind of like the defining performance or favorite character you had in this movie? 
Oh, man. So I think... So what defined me, uh, a defining moment for for Peter uh, was, you know, that scene where he's going against Doctor Strange and he ultimately beats Doctor Strange with math, Um, you know, when he's forcing him through the mirror verse. It showed me that, you know, that Peter, his, his superpower is his mind. Right, like he can get through essentially anything, any obstacle. And one of my favorite things was about Peter is that he's be- like, like I guess. Well, another favorite scene is that say, well, it's kind of uh, played out through the movie. Peter's trying to be selfless, so he's he. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in the movie where, when his friends don't get in uh, admitted to MIT, he goes tracks down the lady who is essentially a part of admissions. And when he goes, tracks her down, he tries to convince her. And then obviously we see that battle of him and Doc Ock. And the fact that he was willing to risk his life while saving this lady all to get his friends admitted into MIT because of his mess up, it's kind of like, yo, Mm -hmm. like, this is a Peter we haven't really seen from Tom Holland to that extent. Like, and like I said, like, I I feel like he's becoming more human and more, or for lack of a better word, manly in the moment. Um, the one thing that I liked about the story as well is that, you know, Peter was immediately uh, going to essentially get rid of um, the multiverse, the, uh, not the multiverse, but the, the villains of the multiverse. So, but it wasn't until he had that conversation with Aunt May when she was like, Peter, that's not you. Like, if anyone can fix this, right. it's you. And then that leads into the battle between him and Doctor Strange. And it's like the one thing that humanized him a lot or humbled him was the one thing that was taken away from him. So it's just like the constant growth. And I believe, I didn't cry, but I believe Tom Holland and um, uh, Aunt May, like I believe them, her dying. Like we'll never see her again. That performance they were able to pull off was just Dope, and then also I'm not gonna lie. I think Andrew Garfield when he when he popped on screen, even though I like his films the the, the less, he kind of stole some of the good parts. Yeah, he I held mean, his own. Oh, he stole a lot. Yeah, the <laughs> yes. he comes in and he jumps on the wall, and they were like, "Continue proving me that I'm Spider Man." He's like, "This is not enough proof. I'm literally hanging from the ceiling," and it's. Mm-hmm. I mean. His Spider-Man is very unique. I did like his Spider-Man, but it made me want to see more of him. Um, one thing I will say, though, I think which was a missed opportunity, the moment where Tom Holland is fighting Green Goblin, like that final battle, and Tobey Maguire stops him from killing Green Goblin, and Green Goblin stabs Tobey Maguire, the missed opportunity was Tobey should have died. Like, all he says was, yeah. oh, I've been stabbed mm. before. And in my mind, I'm like, well, what the... What, that should have been the end what, of Toby. <laughs> of this whole scene? Like, and you know, Andrew picks him up and he's like, you're in a lot of pain. He was like, yeah, I am. You know, it, it, was, a, it was a missed opportunity. I feel like, I think there should have been more loss. Like, seeing someone that we, that we love, arguably the legend of the whole group, um, mm-hmm. losing his life. Um, and you know, I think that would have that would have brought so much more depth to the to the story. But overall, I think 
the the best moment of this. I'm sorry, I'm going on too long, but the best moment of this is that where Peter gets Peter gets his first apartment, and you hear the landlord saying the rent's due on the first of the month. I immediately thought it was that dude <laughs> from Spider the original Spider. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking too. I was waiting for the girl to pop out with the cookies and stuff. But obviously, that wasn't the case. And we literally see Tom Holland throw away all of the Spider-Man suits that he had, and he throws up Mm -hmm. his own Spider-Man suit, and he just he goes and becomes the Spider-Man that we know, who's now going to struggle paying his rent and going to school and saving the city. And I think that was such a poetic ending poetic ending slash beginning to who we know as Spider-Man. Definitely. And, and now getting into our last topic 10 years from now, do you still think this will be watchable and intriguing? Um, I definitely think it will as, you know, it's just extremely satisfying in the right culmination of two decades of of Spider-Man movies. And it, this really elevates Tom Holland's character in a more interesting, complex figure. Um, to you, Kevin, like, what do you think will make this a watchable and intriguing movie a decade from now? I think, I mean, obviously just the tying into so many other things that have gone on and people just follow the character of Spider-Man. I mean, people have kids that have kids that watch this or watch the original ones and then kind of tying into the rest of this. This is literally kind of a whole transition point for everything that's going to start happening, you know, in the rest of the whole MCU. So I think that alone will be a huge thing. But I think just kind of like, I think a lot of us have said it in different ways too. It's almost like, a lot of these movies have kind of served as the origin story to, I don't think we're going to have a new Spider-Man, but we're going to have this like matured version of Spider-Man that's no longer kind of like a trainee learning, but we're going to see him start to be that person who's then teaching and then showing younger people and then kind of teaching them things, you know, that way. And this is going to be like that starting point for that to begin for him. Yeah, definitely. Um, to, to you, Savon, like, what do you think will make this like be a watch one intriguing movie another another decade from now. Multiverse. That's all I'm gonna say. Multiverse. That's all, all right. I need to say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, um to, to you, Alex, what do you kind of like? Do you feel as though this this can continue to be a watch one intriguing movie another decade from now? And kind of some of the reasons for it. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like you know, I realized that you know the first Tobey Maguire movie came out over 20 years ago. No, 20 years ago, 2001. And we're now mm. still, people are now still watching that. I, when I when that came out, I think I was like eight or nine years old. And now going to go see Spider-Man No Way Home in 2021, I'm married and I'm seeing this movie. And I remember what it was like going to see this movie. So, and also, like, like I said, like this is, uh, I think Tom Holland put it best in a press release. This is a culmination of, of three generations of Spider-Man. And this is, you know... Essentially, we we had never seen anything like this live action. You know, nothing like this in the MCU. And, you know, I think 20 years from now, uh, my kids and potentially even their kids are going to want to see earlier versions of Spider-Man. And who knows? We'll see probably Tobey Maguire in his 50s come back for another version of Spider-Man where he's older now and has to be another mentor. I hope, though... In future films, we're going to see uh, that transition from Peter to Miles because it seems like that's where they're going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So I hope that's what we get. Yeah, and, and before we close out, in terms of top three favorite Spider-Man movies, I, I mean, I would have Into the Spider-Verse, Spider-Man Two, and this one. 
like any one of any one of you can start. Like, what would kind of be your particular top three favorite Spider-Man movies? Those are my same three. Um, same three. Spider Verse is uh, Into the Spider Verse is my favorite. This is probably my second favorite now, um, okay. and then Spider Man Two. Th- those are my three. I would to you to yes, Avon. All the Amazing Spider Mans one, two. No, <laughs> <laughs> no man. Um, obviously, Sp- uh, Tobey Maguire's first Spider Man. This one, Spider Man No Way Home, and. I'm gonna say the Amazing Spider-Man, the first one, um, the first one, Andrew mm. Garfield. I really like that one. I like his Spider-Man because he's taller. He's a taller. Sp- well, I don't want to get into you know the details. I just like. <laughs> I know, it's a different type of yeah. It's a different type of uh, Spider-Man. We didn't have a guy, and his personality was different from other Spider-Mans because I think it was funnier. Like I, I like funny movies, so I'm gonna pick the no more comic comical one. Mm-hmm. I. To you, Alex, what will what, what be your top three? I would have to say No Way Home, Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. and then um, I would have to say, uh, yeah, I would probably have to say Spider-Man too because I, I like that a little bit more than the, than the first Amazing Spider-Man. I really like the first Amazing Spider-Man because I think that bar for bar, that is Peter Parker. Bar for bar. Like, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. like they... When they did the Amazing Spider-Man, the first one, that was a true original story of Peter Parker. I feel, um, especially in the Ultimate Comics, but Spider-Man Two. I mean, Alfred Molina's Doc Ock. Oh my God! Like, I believe him in every scene of Spider-Man Two, and also in No Way Home. So, I would have to do No Way Home, Spider Verse, and Spider-Man Two. Definitely. Well, Kevin and Alex, it has been a pleasure having you both on, and thank you guys so much for being back on, man. Definitely. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm host Winter Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.